The knives have come out for Premier Jason Kenney in Alberta. United Conservative Party members will vote on the fate of Kenney's leadership in his time as Premier on April 9th. We'll get the inside scoop on what is really going on in Alberta. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. So a lot of people ask me, I get a lot of emails and just friends asking me like, hey, Candace, what is going on in Alberta? What's going on with Premier Jason Kenney? Is he going to survive all this? And I thought it would be good to dedicate an episode of the show to sort of doing a deeper dive and trying to figure out what happened in Alberta, how we got to where we are and what is at stake what is going to happen to the premier over there. So to do that, I am bringing in my friend, Brad Tennant. Brad is the vice president and Alberta lead of Wellington Advocacy, a national public affairs firm, and he is based out of Calgary. Previously, Brad served as the executive director of the United Conservative Party and was a senior member of Jason Kenney's leadership campaigns. So Brad, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Candice. Okay, so, you know, there's really like a lot of drama going on in Alberta. If you read the headlines in legacy media, they sort of make it seem like Kenny's days are numbered. But we know that Kenny is a very resilient politician and he has um, beat the odds many, many times in his political career. So why don't we just start, Brad, by talking a little bit about what is going on in Alberta politics in a nutshell? What's happened in the last year? What is driving this whole leadership review process? Yeah, well, I think it comes a lot out of what you were just saying, but there's there's no shortage of drama in Alberta. And I think it's honestly been that way for more than a year. It's almost been that way since uh, since Ralph Klein kind of left politics. Alberta has seen a path of, um, you know, uh, one term premiers ever since Uh, it's seen kind of disruption in the conservative movement. And I think, you know, after almost uh, almost two decades of that chaos, we're kind of getting to, um, you know, a, a conservative movement, I would say less so a conservative voter base and a conservative member base, but a conservative movement that is almost so focused on infighting that the first instinct when things get tough go towards infighting. And I think in the last year there's been, um, you know, COVID policy, I think, has been unpopular in Alberta, more so in Alberta than probably other parts of the country. Uh, that being said, Alberta's faced less um, Uh, lockdowns, less measures, Um, but that's almost aggravated those on the political left and those in the mainstream media even more, and at the same time left uh, some on the kind of conservative side a little bit disenchanted, um, you know, not liking the last series of lockdown, not liking some of the measures that came with it. Um, So that's led to a political environment that, like we said, is is quite dramatic here in Alberta. Um, But again, like you said, I don't think it's anything that Premier Kenny's not used to. Premier Kenny He's been uh, an effective conservative politician ever since he entered uh, the arena almost three decades ago. Uh, He has always been counted out by kind of the mainstream media, elitist pundits, people that have not expected him to do something. And I think those people are already calling the cards that, you know, Kenny isn't going to be successful in the months ahead. But when you when you talk to people on the ground here and you talk to ordinary United Conservative members and, um, you know, a little bit more of the uh, the the activists at the at the ground level, I think that a lot of people understand Premier Kenny was dealt a very tough hand in the last couple of years. And coming out of it, there's really no better place to be than Alberta. We have a balanced budget for the first time, really, 
um, you know, and, and you can go back and debate this, but a balanced budget leading into a balanced budget, probably for the first time since those Ralph Klein days. And, um, you know, uh, the economy is booming, oil and gas is back up. It's not just oil and gas, a bunch of other industries and commodity industries are firing on all cylinders. So, uh, you know, there's no better place to be than Alberta for, for a lot of Albertans. I think there's renewed hope and optimism, um, which is a lot of what Jason Kenney got elected and on, uh, but obviously COVID threw a wrench in that, but coming out of that, I think, you know, there, there is a sense of optimism that I don't think really shines through the mainstream media a lot of the times here in the province, you know? Well, it's certainly one of those things where no one was happy in Alberta with the COVID stuff, as you alluded to, you know, the left wanted the premier to go so much further and lock down harder and follow some of the more draconian uh, measures that were taken. I'm not saying that there weren't draconian measures in Alberta. There certainly were. And a lot of them, uh, you know, I, I would be right there in line with people criticizing the premier saying, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Uh, unnecessary. Um, however, I think that 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 you know people on the right were also had a, have a very very low tolerance for a lot of the COVID measures, and because of that, the premier wasn't pleasing anybody because you know the more conservative people in the province didn't want to have COVID, uh, vaccine mandates. They didn't want the extra lockdown. So it was it was it was hard for him to to please either side. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about this leadership review. Uh, where did this come from? Why is it happening? And can you, and can you kind of walk us through what that's going to look like? Yeah, so there is a typically a leadership review. Um, you know, federally, this doesn't happen after you win a majority government. In both legacy provincial parties, there is a, a leadership review, even if you win a majority government. Um, the legacy parties begin the PC party and the Wild Rose. Um, and they tend to have a lot of buildup. They tend to have a lot of... Um, you know, um, a lot of mystique and a lot of uh, media buildup around them, because uh, there is an opportunity for members to essentially vote down their leader. And at that point, um, you know, the leader has been uh, the premier of the province and in all but the Wild Rose cases. Uh, personally, I think the first convention I went to was the Ralph Klein one where they were actually voted down. Um, and uh, since then, I've, um, you know, being a political activist here, I, I would have attended or observed uh, the Allison Redford, the Ed Stell, Mac, uh, the Daniel Smith, the Brian Jean, um, you know, all the kind of leadership reviews that followed. Um, so uh, having been through these, like they're, they're somewhat regular here. They have a lot of drama here, but I can tell why people in other provinces and other jurisdictions, you know, might be, find them sometimes peculiar um, because they are a unique opportunity. I think Saskatchewan has um, a semi-regular at their AGM's process of doing this, but uh, you know, it is, it is something that's somewhat at least unique to Alberta politics. Um, that being said, um, you know, uh, in the lead up, obviously, this is kind of where Ralph Klein lost. Uh, it's also where Ed Stelmack and Allison Redford uh, both kind of got second wins in their premierships, like both were um, unpopular for their own reasons, um, facing challenges in the lead up. Um, I think both kind of surprised with getting their 77%. Um, and they both, um, you know, were able to get some extra wind in their sails. So they've been they've been a unique thing, I think, divine, defining conservative premierships. And on the Wild Rose side, I think Danielle got 90 percent in one of hers and still obviously didn't carry on to the next election. And uh, Brian Jean, if I recall, got 78 percent or 77 percent rounded up um, and didn't carry on to the next election. So, um, you know, they, these things have been quite dramatic. And, um, you know, I think leaders have passed them more often than not. 
Um, but they've kind of fueled this uh, cycle in Alberta that, um, you know, keeps, I think, political leaders focused a lot on the kind of internal workings of the party. Well, it's a great reminder of why you're there and, and who you represent. I think that a lot of the critique that comes to conservative leaders in, in Canada is, I, I mean, the saying in in, in Canadian federal politics is that politicians get auto-washed, right? They move to Ottawa and they start representing the people around them, the bureaucracy, the media, the sort of left-wing uh, society in, in Ottawa, and they forget about the, the people maybe that, that sent them there. So it's, it's a great way to connect with the authentic grassroots base of the party and to make sure that you're that you're governing for them so so it's it's it's, it it serves a useful purpose but let's let's talk about uh a a little bit of the the drama that that happened with regards to the convention because there was supposed to be a in an in-person uh review on april 9th in red deer and um, there was a membership cutoff that happened on March 19th. So after that, they were no longer able to purchase memberships. And then it was determined on March 23rd, so four days after the membership cutoff, that that the that the review was going to be switched from in-person um, to a mail-in ballot system, which, which obviously got a lot of people worried, concerned, a lot of accusations that something uh, foul was happening. Um, can you can you sort of walk us through that uh, decision making process? Why, why did it switch from a in person vote to a mail in vote? Yeah, so I think the first switch you got to go back to, um, I think late last fall, um, some individuals, particularly, uh, it was more of some unhappy folks in the backbench. Uh, we're speaking up and wanting a leadership review quicker. This leadership review was originally supposed to be at the AGM happening this fall um, in Edmonton. Um, I'm not sure if they've got that date scheduled, but it usually happens around October and November. So the leadership was going to be decided by uh, delegates, as was traditional through those previous leadership races I discussed. Um, but, you know, there was some desire to have this out there. Um, you know, Premier Kenny said himself he welcomes it, and he's always kind of happy to have that grassroots um, uh, feedback on his premiership. So he he actually moved it up to an SGM, to a special vote. Uh, traditionally, these leadership reviews are done at an AGM. Um, and then, um, you know, I think that they ran into an issue quite quickly. There was, there was first a number of unhappy people that they weren't able to make it there for that single, uh, you know, six hour slot to join in Red Deer. And, you know, uh, people kind of forget Alberta is a province that's larger than most countries, you know, and, um, you know, some people were looking at, you know, even living in some urban areas like Grand Prairie, you were, you were having to travel, you know, six, seven hours, you know, you can name the other spot on the map. There was quite a bit of travel that uh, occurred for a lot of people. So I think some were unhappy with it being in one location. It was obviously costing individuals a hundred dollars to go for uh, paying for the registration and the fees that usually go with an SGM. Um, So I do feel for the party board as they were kind of hurt on that angle and that there were people already unhappy. And then obviously, um, you know, and I've, I've managed, these AGMs before. Um, so I've got a lot of sympathy for them. But even in Red Deer, um, at the exact location we were having it, we've had AGMs before there and we had 2000 people. And in all honesty, you can't get parking within four or five city blocks. Um, uh, it's it's a big mess. And that's with 2000 people. And I think they saw more interest in this leadership than they expected. Obviously, uh, I believe at the end of it, there was something like 14,000 signups. Yeah, there was a global report that said 13,700 people had registered to vote, which just to me, thinking about the logistics of that, to your point about finding parking, it's like, (laughs) 
managing a crowd of that size uh, is, is not something that a group of volunteers or um, a political party is really used to, uh, you know, unless you're talking about maybe a Donald Trump rally or something like that. But that's not something that we're used to here in Canada. Yeah, no. And it would have been uh, like logistically, like, um, you know, the amount of volunteer staff you would have had. Again, it's just like it was fundamentally unserious. And I think it would have swelled quite a bit because members still could buy mem- um, delegate passes after that date. So I think it would have swelled to north of 20,000. Um, and I think that would still be a fairly conservative estimate. So, um, you know, all that being said, you're not going to fit that group into a hotel ball- ballroom. Um, you know, I, I respect the party volunteer board because they, they do have to make some tough decisions. And here, like if they would have went through with Red Deer, it would have been a logistical nightmare and everybody would have been crying foul that day, the next day and crying, you know, um, if Kenny were to win it, the issue would have been that it was unfair and you couldn't get in there and everything of the sort. Um, so I think the party, you know, made the, the, you know, this situation was pretty unprecedented. What they did is they opened it to the maximum amount of voters and maximum amount of members. Um, they, it's now, so if you have a UCP party membership, you can vote, you will be getting a ballot package. Um, you know, fundamentally, it's the most, you know, democratic and open way to do it. But um, Alberta does have like a, a hyper online culture that there are people that will complain about something no matter what those people uh, kind of have done that and there is, you know, this isn't a the Wild Rose Party, uh, both of our leadership elections, I, I came from the Wild Rose side personally, uh, both of our leadership elections were done through the mail. Every federal um, leadership has been done through the mail. Uh, it's an audited process with an independent auditor. Um, I, I can't help but think there's a group that would cry no matter how the process goes if they lose. And, uh, you know, that being said, I think this is probably the best situation our best way to do it, given a hard situation. And I've got to sympathize with um, the board as, uh, you know, the kind of town criers kind of kept their voice very loud after the decision, you know? Well, it's, it's very much one of those, like the analogy that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. It's like we hear a lot of, from the people who oppose the premier. We hear a lot uh, from Jason Kenney's opposition. And it, it, it is hard to sort of speculate and quantify, like, what percentage of the party does it represent? You know, is it is it 10%? Is it 20? Is it 50? Like, it, it, it's, it's hard to it's hard to gauge. And to your point about the online culture, it's like the same thing with the comment sections. Uh, you know, the people who, who uh, sometimes are the loudest on the comment boards are the, are the ones that have the more extreme uh, positions on the issues. They don't necessarily represent the, the medium or the, the everyday person. So let's talk a little bit about who is driving this revolt. Who, who, who are Kenny's um, main opposition? And in your view, your estimation as being sort of a grassroots conservative in Alberta, uh, how, how large is it? How much of the party does it represent? Yeah, no, I think, um, I, I think that there is a, a group there that hasn't been happy, obviously, um, you know, and I think it's been that way since the United Conservative Party was formed. I do think like um, where you were mentioning at the start, Alberta does tend to have a little bit of that. But Albertans also like they're they're very involved, like it's a community where you get the most volunteers. You have the av- av- highest average per capita charitable donation. Like it is a province that people are involved in their community. People are involved in their politics and stuff like that. So I do think that there's a much quieter um 
you know, uh, part of the party's membership and the party's support base who just want to see politics done the right way and see things effectively move forward. So, well, like you say, the squeaky wheel does sometimes get the grease, but, you know, I think in Alberta, what still will drive this party and what will drive this membership and this leadership uh, will be the more, um, you know, common everyday conservative, which is a good process in this. As far as what's driving the opposition, like, uh, you know, I think that there is, um, you know, and it was no easy process to unite two conservative parties that actually did not like each other at all. Like there was a point I could tell you, even from my point uh, as a former Wild Roser, I did not like the idea. Um, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of people came around, came together. Uh, not everybody did. So there's still a little bit of, um, you know, former rivalries that I think drive a little bit of it. Um, and, you know, just um, obviously a lot of this, uh, well, not, a, I wouldn't say a lot of this, but one of the lead proponents and it's Brian Jean, who I think is still bitter about losing the last leadership election in the last time members had their say. Um, there is some caucus members speaking out who might be unhappy about something else one way or another, um, you know, whether that's not getting into cabinet or not being in a certain role or, or something leadership's not seeing things their way and they're balancing that back with, um, you know, talking about, uh, you know, being unhappy with the leader, unhappy with the process. This, this typically happens in politics, uh, you know, even in Saskatchewan, Ontario, other conservative governments, uh, they've seen some backbenchers kicked out and stuff like that in the last couple of years. Kenny has almost allowed for more of this um, kind of backbench speaking up. And I think that there's like a Puritan conservative and all of us that likes that, that likes allowing for more dissent in the party. But because Kenny's kind of allowed it, I think there's been a more vocal opposition to him. And, and to answer your question more fully, I think there's some people bitter about them not being in leadership and some people you know just genuinely who aren't happy with the uh direction of the party that are kind of driving this well it's it's a kind of almost confusing uh from, from an outsider perspective because jason kenny didn't come from either camp really uh he was a federal conservative he represented calgary but he was you know an mp in ottawa so he wasn't really part of the conservative fracture in, in Alberta between the Wild Rose and the PCs. And and it's interesting because, you know, I know that he has a lot of uh, support from Wild Rose people, uh, former Wild Rose people working in his office. And, and you know, it's not it's not an immediate like, oh, Jason Kenney came from the PC side or the Wild Rose side. He, he, that, that was why he was sort of the perfect person to merge the party because he didn't have baggage on either side. Um, but but it's interesting because the 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 opposition to him seems to come from sort of the more rural MLAs and people who are really unhappy with the vaccine mandates and the lockdowns, um, and yet the sort of main person that's coming out against him, Brian Jean, seems to me. I mean, I know that he has the endorsement of uh, Peter McKay, a very prominent sort of red Tory on the left sort of flank of the of the federal conservatives and when asked uh when brian jean was asked what would you do differently if you were running the province he said that he would have invited the ndp opposition leader rachel notley to be part of cabinet which you know for all of the all of the critiques uh, that you might have about how premier kenny governed over the last two years you know not including rachel notley in the decision making seemed like a really strange opposition so 
it, 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 seems, it seems hard to really understand from an outside perspective uh, whether the opposition is coming from the left or the right, whether it's coming from the Wild Rose camp or the PC camp, or whether it's just, I know that there was, a, I wanted to ask you about this leaked audio uh, of, of Premier Kenny uh, sort of saying that, you know, a lot of this is just people that are personally bitter that they didn't get a portfolio or they didn't get a position that they wanted, that their company's not getting government contracts. Um, you know, he also ca- characterized his opponents as being hateful bigots, which uh, I'm sorry to say sounds a bit like what Justin Trudeau would say. Um, but but it may, maybe you could um, help explain that, help us understand that. Well, yeah, I wouldn't, you know, I think that, you know, we, we all have had uh, conversations before where, you know, somebody else can take it and blow it up. I think, look, uh, Jason, um, you know, was one of the most, uh, you know, out of all of Canadian politics and all of Canadian punditry and media, Jason was one of the most uh, aggressive defenders of kind of the truckers, rights during that time. He's been one of the biggest counterweights to Justin Trudeau. I can only imagine uh, how big of a mess we'd be in in the last couple of years if the kind of Notley-Trudeau alliance had continued over that time. Um, so, you know, Jason has been, I think, you know, one of the more vocal opponents of the kind of Trudeau era and the Trudeau kind of, um, you know, comments and everything around that. Um, but largely, like, um, you know, I think that it's it's a unique spot. I don't think it's um, an ideological logical driven uh, opposition to Premier Kenny, quite frankly, I think, I think, you know, Jason Kenny, um, and, and I understand, I like, I sympathize with a lot of the people that have frustrations about the COVID policies of the last couple of years, because I was certainly there at points too. Uh, but Jason has been one of the more effective conservatives, not just in Alberta, but nationally in the last like 20, 30 years. He was one of the most trusted individuals within the Stephen Harper government. He is uh, a genuine, uh, works 20 hours a day conservative, which in my opinion is what Alberta kind of needs to push forward right now. Uh, his opposition comes from a lot of bitterness, which, um, you know, and I, uh, I was lucky to be executive director of the party. I've been lucky to be involved in uh, kind of party politics. And, and I genuinely love like, you know, the people that donate, the people that support this party are kind of your ordinary, hardworking, not overly political Albertans. And it almost the process, especially I would think since Ralph uh, has left, um, political partisans have been so obsessed with infighting and and everything along that end uh, within this province that I think it's hurt our ability to um, to uh, you know do what I think ordinary conservative voters and supporters want us to do. Um, and I think Premier Kenny's falling a little bit victim to that because it is you know a uh, campaign more driven by bitterness. Like um, you know Brian Jean, he's an individual who's um, you know, uh, when he was leader, he said he would support some form of, or his own form of a carbon tax. Like, uh, like you were saying, I can't imagine that, like, if you asked any Alberta conservative what they should have done differently over COVID, I think Brian Jean's the only one who would call himself conservative and say the first thing he'll say is we should have let Rachel Notley into cabinet. Um, because I think that there's, you know, natural reasons for conservatives to be unhappy, but it hasn't been what I think has been driving a lot of the opposition to uh, Kenny. I'd, I would also say, and this is pretty unique, but like, obviously we balance the budget here and, you know, despite what Justin says, budgets don't balance themselves. And, um, you know, uh, 
a lot of the opposition to Kenny even came from some in the conservative uh, rank and file when he was holding the line on public spending early in his term. Uh, a lot of people thought that there were like public servants that, you know, they weren't getting the raise they want. And some from even like rural MLA backgrounds were attacking him for not spending enough money um, and not spending it on these issues. He held the line today. We have a balanced budget. So, um, you know, getting back to your, your main question here, I don't think it's really a kind of conservative thing. I think you know, as and um, I love this party, I love this movement, but like uh, we've had a lot of fracture in the last 15 years or so. And I think that's led to, you know, the activist crowd almost liking infighting, I think, more than our supporters and, and ordinary members do, you know? Right. No, absolutely. Uh, one of the other questions that came out of that and and, I, you know, I I when I listened to the audio of that, uh, that 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 leaked audio that I think went to the CBC. I don't understand who I don't I don't understand who working for Jason Kenny would think it was a good idea to record what he was saying in a private conversation and then give it to the CBC of all people. Uh, wh what does that say about the premier's office and and sort of the loyalty towards the premier that someone someone did? Some people were like speculating that maybe it was all planned and that, that that it wasn't like a candid conversation that he was doing it on purpose but maybe, maybe you can shed some some light onto uh, how that happened if there's any idea of who did it and and you know what were they thinking basically yeah no i look i can't imagine especially you know in this year um any principled conservative leaking that sort of stuff to the cbc you know um and look i think you know governments um, you know, governments nowadays employ hundreds of people within an internal government to make sure it runs properly. Um, just like any business, um, you never kind of strike 100% in hiring that number of people. And sometimes there are individuals that are frustrated. I'm disappointed that I think any individual, um, you know, and I've had this privilege, like it's a privilege to work in this movement. It's a privilege to work in this province. Um, it's disappointing that any individual would think, you know, leaking an internal conversation to the CBC would be a good thing. Uh, but I had to laugh too. People were acting like, oh, this was some Kenny chess move because he wanted that out there. Just meaning like what he's saying behind the scenes isn't, you know, that that unnormal for, um, you know, I think regular conservative talk and, you know, um, uh, regular what what I think conservatives are joining together and fight for. Um, so it was unique. And um, yeah, I think obviously that came from one person disgruntled, but in a government where you're hiring hundreds, it's it's sometimes too bad. But what, what I would say is, um, you know, for and I think True Norse put an awesome culture together, but for individuals who want to work in politics, like I think there's an awesome opportunity in this movement in politics. And I would recommend you to recommend to your family members, to yourself, like if you want to be involved in politics, uh, I would say that the bar isn't sometimes as high as some people expect. Um, and like we need more good people elected, we need more good people working for government too. So, um, you know, hopefully some people will, will hear that and maybe even our culture of kind of internal staff will improve over the years. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's always uh, hard to find good people. But, uh, you know, I lived in Alberta for several years during university and afterwards. And, you know, from someone who's a total outsider, politics can seem really like an insider's game and almost intimidating. But I, I always found that the political culture in the conservative movement in Alberta was so welcoming. Like, you, you know, you, you just show up to one event and 10 people introduce themselves to you and, you know, people invite you back to events. And, and there, there really is a, a great culture um, that's very inclusive and inviting uh, to to outsiders, and so uh, it's it's really uh, a big family of conservatives in Alberta, and that's that's one of the best parts. Uh, just just on a final note here, Brad, 
I, I, I have to ask you about this because I've seen a couple of recent polls in Alberta that indicate that the ND, that the NDP uh, are, are ahead. I've seen one poll that shows them like up 15 points. Uh, another poll, though, that shows the uh, conservatives up. So uh, what, what do you make of these polls? Do you think they're accurate? Do you think that the conservatives should be afraid on a broader level? Uh, I know there's an election uh, coming up, a general election coming up in May 2023. Do you think conservatives should be worried about their chances uh, against an NDP uh, party and, and the potential of an NDP government again in Alberta. Totally. Well, conservatives should never take anything for granted, right? Like um, we need to work hard. We need to prove that, you know, there's, there's uh, the reason we will continue to be elected is the reason, um, you know, is quite simply because we're, we're the better party. We're more representative of Albertans. So you can never take that for granted. You got to go forward um, with that attitude. Uh, the recent polling. So uh, I think during the, during the height of COVID, like Jason was essentially taking it from both ends and his polling went down. Like uh, I saw the recent, um, uh, there was one polling company from a firm and I can say this because I've worked internally in Alberta politics, like some firms here, they do online samples and their, their data is usually garbage. Like some were put, putting like Trudeau uh, right up with the federal conservative party last election in Alberta. And obviously it didn't come close to that. Uh, the two polls I watched most closely, um, I believe there was um, a syndicate from Janet Brown and a syndicate from uh, Yorkville, uh, both of which I came out. Those both gave the UCP leads a four and 5% respectively because the conservatives are, are stronger in Calgary uh, and rural and weaker in Edmonton. That would work out to a pretty big win for him. Now, I think Look, last election, Jason Kenney won with 55% of the vote. Um, that's a massive victory in Alberta politics. Like that's larger than Ralph or um, uh, Peter Lougheed's like first victory. It's a, it's a very massive win. Uh, so a high bar to keep up. And I don't think he's a guy that'll be content at all with a four to five point win. Um, we've got to continue to do better, which I think Alberta really, uh, the UCP has a team in place, despite us sometimes being more dramatic than I think the ordinary voter might like. Uh, a team to rebound out of COVID. A lot is going well and uh, a lot's going well in the economy. Um, a lot of, I think, what Jason Kenney and the initial UCP got elected to do is coming to fruition now. And that's great. And I think too, like, um, you know, some of these same polls were giving Rachel Notley and the NDP a 20 point lead like four or five months ago. So you don't see it in the mainstream media at all, but like, it's also a story that I think any conservative that blew a 20 point lead in five months would be all over the news. Rachel Notley blew a 20 point lead and, um, you know, is is continuing down the same path of really the same style of opposition. So I think there's some reasons to be optimistic, but there's nothing bigger that should be a priority than work hard. Make sure you're out there representing your voters, which which I am happy to see that I think the UCP is kind of um, getting back to out of COVID, you know. Yeah, listen to the grassroots, listen to the base, and and the whole leadership review uh, is is exactly that. I remember I was out in Alberta in 2019 for the UCP convention, and at the time, uh, you know, the media and the the narrative in the in the headlines was so anti Kenny. It was like there was some revolt of nursing, uh, the nursing union, and the uh, you know the economy that the price of oil was really really low, and everyone was talking about how the party was turning on. Jason Kenney. And, you know, I walked into the main room and Jason got, you know, an overwhelming standing ovation that was like extended on and on. And the room was going crazy. They were absolutely elated to see him. And it couldn't have been a starker difference, Brad, between, you know, the stories that we were told and, and the, the understanding that you would get from following legacy media uh, versus being in the room and seeing like 
okay, this is this is this is an incredibly popular premier that has the full support of his party, despite uh, the grumblings that you may hear. So um, I, th I don't think it's a good idea to write off Jason Kenney. I think that uh, he he's he's come from behind so many times. So I really appreciate your time today and helping us kind of get a better perspective uh, that that you definitely won't see in the legacy media because they definitely have an agenda to push a uh, one way and 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 when it comes to the opposition as well the you know, the very uh, disgruntled people are sometimes allowed us. So I, I appreciate your time. Thanks, Brad, for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much, Candice. All right, that is Brad Tennant. I'm Candice Malcolm, and this is the Candice Malcolm Show.